Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Leftology Podcast. And for this episode, I have a kind of a reverse interview with my friend Mike. Uh, Mike's been on the podcast before, back when we used to only do it on Twitch about, what is it? It's like a year and a half ago now. Something like um, that. Would you like to introduce yourself, your background, uh, I guess, whatever you do, anything at all? Yeah, sure. So my name's Mike. And um, as far as anyone listening to this is concerned, I'm just a random guy from South Carolina. A friend of the um, show. Friend of the show. Friend of the, the pod is probably, thank you for that. That makes me feel really welcome. Um, friend of the pod, uh, have been involved in a little bit of politics in um, like the local sense. I've ran for uh, state office and um you know, had a little bit of experience of that in 2018 um, and got involved with, like I said, local local Democratic Party for a while. Um, but like the entire time, definitely being more of a socialist uh, and trying to find like my place in what that looks like in the South um, and what it looks like in my community. And, um, you know, honestly, still kind of trying to find that out. Uh, but yeah. So always enjoyed uh, Cameron and, and just uh, kind of all the insight that uh, he kind of gives into le just leftist conversation. So I'm, I'm super interested in his, his experiences and, and opinions and just chatting some stuff out tonight. So yeah. yep. I'm a sophomore in college now, so I have some opinions I can back. Yes, I like it. I like More. it. You yeah, more than a recently graduated high schooler when when we started this podcast. It, it is so weird to kind of look back, especially considering I've only been able to make 15 episodes of this show. That's a really quick, that's a lot. Like that, that's that's covering a lot of ground uh in only 15 episodes. Well, it's 15 episodes over a year and a half. So well, it is, is a little that? slow. Is it slow? I, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean like the the jump from episode to episode is like a significant oh, it is, leap it of really, time. Yeah, it yeah, is yeah. a significant leap. Of, like I'll I'll have like read multiple books in between like podcasts yeah. and like completely change my or not completely change my worldview. That made me a bad podcast. Host. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, called rightology now. Yeah, it, we're we're going to turn on to rightology. We're going to be discussing why uh, we should increase the border walls and make them a hundred feet high, put spikes on all sides of them and make them electric next episode. Yep. yep, yep. <laughs> See what bench bureau's up to. Yeah. Um, I mean, we do talk about the right and the alt-right a lot on this episode or not this episode, this, this podcast. And uh, that was actually something I was going to make a video about <laughs> is that um, I gotten, I, I was thinking on Twitter this week and people were talking about like, um, like new anti SJW stuff, which is like, it's like, 2013 2016 stuff and yeah. i watch it it's very lazy content of the like yeah. the the channel they uploaded mm -hmm. um which is just like it's going over like dr phil and stuff like that of like critical race theorists versus like james Lindsay, and then oh, the yeah. guy the guy shows himself and he's just like that's right that's how you argue um at like the straightest way possible um and then he cuts back to the clip like it's extremely lazy content to the point where i can't tell if it's a troll or not yeah, like, um, but I was thinking about that and I was like, wait, it's 2022 now. 2015 and 2016 were what? That, what's that? That's like six or seven years ago. Mm -hmm. So like the little tiny kids that were watching like only like Minecraft YouTube back then 
are now yeah. like people who have political opinions, who had no experience of Gamergate at all, and have no understanding of what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we should be a little bit concerned about this stuff. It was, so like the lack of um, cultural understanding uh, or, or being going through living through that cultural moment, not preparing, uh, sorry for sounding old, but the coming generation for uh, recycled, uh, rehashed uh, right-wing pipeline stuff. Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah, that's what I'm concerned about. Especially, yeah. I didn't go quite as far. I don't, the furthest I got was like a couple Jordan Peterson videos when I was younger, mm-hmm, uh, which is mm-hmm. not on, honestly not that far in the pipeline considering a lot of other people. Yeah, that's um, true. Never got to the, like that actual like Nazi stuff like Stephen Molyneux and I don't yeah I may have only watched like one Ben Shapiro video it's a very small amount like I was yeah. quite lucky but I also 2018 was kind of like a big height in BreadTube even if they have more followers now it was a lot more coherent <laughs> yes 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 I I'm not as familiar with the ecosystem of BreadTube to be completely honest because surprisingly I don't consume a whole lot of content. Um, I have a few podcasts that I listen to, uh, you know, I read a bunch of articles, uh, every now and then I'll pick up a good book, but, um, I am somewhat aware that compared to like 2016, 2017, that community has actually expanded a lot. And there's a lot of diversity in creators. A lot of people seem to focus on like one or two big ones. Like, Oh, this one or two creators bred to, it's like, no, it's, it's a fairly large conglomerate of a pretty I would, I know you said coherent, uh, but I would almost say that it seems like it's uh, got a lot of diversity in it too. Um, does that make sense? Maybe coherent and like it's all. Well, I was left. mentioning about three or four years ago, it was a lot more coherent when it's smaller, which I think it, oh. it benefited from a little bit. There's too much, in, there's so gotcha, much gotcha. infighting now. I see what you're saying. I got that backwards, but yeah, yeah, that makes more sense. And I, I do think the, uh, uh, one of the main questions I think we were going to go over is where does the left go from now? How do we achieve socialism yeah. or whatever? These big ass questions. And I think this random is... guy going to answer it tonight, baby. Yeah. Welcome. Uh, the guy with 151 YouTube subscribers is going to answer you how to do socialism in 10 easy steps. Number one, the government pays for stuff. Yeah. Government pays for stuff. Two through nine. I don't know. Number 10 socialism. There you go. Hey, congratulations. I think we... I got a, no, nah, no, I left my confetti downstairs. Never mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, fake, Matt, okay, um, imagine for YouTube, there's confetti here. And then podcast, you're already imagining the visual part of this. Just imagine uh, Mike put out a confetti thing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Send that to your editor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my, <laughs> my editor, like I can afford one. Uh, <laughs> um, so I guess what's the first question you wanted to go over for this reverse interview? Well, I think for the reverse interview, it would be, uh, would you be comfortable going over kind of what we talked about, like um, maybe your philosophical underpinnings uh, and how that's sort of maybe taken shape over the past couple of years? Because yeah, like, you know, um, in, the, in the last year and a half of your podcast, how that maybe has uh, changed. If, if you feel like it, we can, we can it, do that. that it's a big question. I can yeah, answer now that it's probably a little bit of, postmodernist uh to the degree that i have it i mean there's a lot of stuff that i haven't read for postmodernist i haven't read any any leotard more than like a page that i got today out of the reader um maybe like 20 pages to the lose um 
I mean, a lot of it comes from like videos and stuff because like these works are really hard to read. Um, a lot of existentialist thought. I have a class. I had a class in that. I've read multiple books, specifically the day before one. I don't believe in like the radical freedom kind of stuff of Sartre, if you know what that means. Um, and I guess that's kind of that and Frankfurt School of Thought is kind of like the underpinning of my leftist thing. If you know what if you know what those words mean, they mean something to you. If they you don't. Yes. They mean nothing to you. Well, uh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> It's just a weird conglomeration of those kind of uh, more focusing on ideology than the material conditions, Mark, neo-Marxism type stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Weirdly enough, I had no desire to know much about that recently, but it is one of those things. Sometimes life brings you topics and information that you need to learn and process and learn to talk about. And that's one of those things that I'm, I'm currently kind of processing through, um, especially with regards to the Frankfurt School, because I feel like uh, it, that gets brought up a lot by like a wide variety of people. And like, I, it's always for different reasons. Like I've heard people on the right talk about the Frankfurt school. I've talked, I've heard people, uh, that are critical of the post, um, I guess the like neo-Marxist thought, um, be very critical of it because it's more ideological. Um, and then I've heard, people be like, no, this is, there's some like good information, especially when it's like, Hey, yeah, materialist critiques important, but there are more things going on in the world. And we've got to like, think about those too. Uh, so yeah, it, that is one of those. And it all, it always comes back to like Frankfurt school, Frankfurt school. So I don't really know, honestly, a whole lot about it other than like, there's a few influential thinkers that seem to have sprung from that. And a lot of people talk about the new American left that have come from that. So, you know, again, layman here when it, when it comes um, to that. From my understanding of it, I need, yeah. I need to read more of these. I have one dimensional man and then dialectic of enlightenment are the two books. And I've watched multiple lectures on this kind of stuff. Sure. Um, but the basic, I guess, idea is uh, you have critical theory, which starts here at the Frankfurt school. Sure. Um, which is in contrast to traditional theory, which is how philosophy had been viewed up to that point. Um, I guess aspects of traditional theory are like grand narrative stuff. Um, mm -hmm. The Hegelian notion that history is leading to like some, I guess, uh, utmost truth that truth exists um, objectively. Um, and that I guess the, the law is supposed to be the sense of justice rather than a power dynamic, which critical theory flips. Um, right. Uh, truth is power dynamic all this other stuff um the ideas we have are not just all on our own um i guess i was thinking over the past few days after we had that conversation on uh, in the direct messages on twitter of kind of just like what what's like one sentence that i could say to support why i want to look at the frankfurt school and it is, it is that if if material conditions were all that was between us and socialism it would have already happened uh, it would have happened like a hundred years ago. Uh, but there's a lot more in between us and socialism than just, I mean, I guess that there's like the military, uh, which is mm. not an easy thing to get over. Uh, but there's also these ideological considerations that like the, that keep the working class or whatever expanded class system you want to put uh, since the 20th century mm. uh, that Marx didn't necessarily have the, the ability to comment on. Um, that prevent us from like ref reforming or revolutionizing ourselves into like a post-scarcity world, which is, I think is the bare minimum for socialism. Yeah. At this point. Right, right, right. Just, just big broadest term possible. 
scarcity not really that big of a problem anymore that's that's socialism right now that's uh, that's the level we're working at just convince everyone scarcity is not really a thing or as scarcity is not something we have to worry about yeah 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 okay i see where you're going i see where you're going okay okay Which i think i think it's the, the bare minimum of what you can qualify as post-scarcity it's not really something you don't have to worry about right right uh, it, it, the importance is drummed up a lot higher um in support of you know privatization and stuff in, uh, so, in free market, so, so the frankfurt school goes through this um and they they find different ways of criticizing the current world and imagining a future one mark marcuse um which is my favorite one of the frankfurt school kind of just sees a problem with like imagination and the uh, the working class as a whole um or one-dimensional, we can only think in capitalism kind of deal. That I think that's one-dimensional man's kind of premise. Um, Adorno deals a lot more with aesthetics, um, like beforehand, the representation stuff. Uh, if you ever heard, heard of the idea of the culture industry, that's him. Um, and then there's a contrast between Adorno and Benjamin, Walter Benjamin, who was a contemporary of um, Adorno, but they he didn't make it out of um, Germany before the Nazis found mm. him. Um, so I want to get this book by Versa puts out, it's like aesthetic theory. Um, and it has like five thinkers and it's like the last two are, uh, male, males between Adorno and Benjamin. Um, but it, they, by the time of dialectic of enlightenment, which is 1947, um, Adorno has a completely different aesthetic theory. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to get too deep into this cause we have a lot more stuff to talk about. No, 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 you're good. I, I have a, I have a, a, a very like another very layman kind of observation but, uh just to finish this off benjamin uh well he was still in germany before adorno goes to america and then he makes all these comments after living for, in america for a few years um like i think over a decade after living in america um but benjamin and adorno's original theory was that leftism could be spread aesthetically adorno by the time of a dialectic of enlightenment in the late 40s it's fairly critical of this idea seeing how much everything can be co-opted in movies film and and so on um that's the same thing i don't know why i said that twice um but i mean that's 1947 here we are what uh 75 years later mm-hmm. uh and we're in a much more predicament we have what what is it now like 24 marvel movies put out since 2008 sure by Marvel alone, sure. uh, people just line up to the theater. A lot of it is military propaganda, even if I'm excited to see it. Um, so it's a big problem with aesthetics um, and yeah. leftism, which I don't know if enough people talk about. I don't know necessarily. I can't be an authority saying even if it is worth talking about. So It's something like among the realms of... <laughs> Amongst all the things that get considered about leftism, especially online, I don't think that it's uh, inappropriate to ask questions about the role of aesthetics because it does play an important uh, thing, you know, whether it's being co-opted or whether it's agitprop or whatever, uh, you can kind of see it in a microcosm like Twitter because people pick, and correct me if I'm not using the concept of aesthetic correctly in this, but like- It's just philosophy of art. That's yeah, a- I mean, well, people create and they nurture an aesthetic that is representative of their identity, which, again, in leftist spaces, there's a look, and there's a flag, there's an anime avatar sometimes. It kind of depends. That could be a whatever, uh, you know, 
there's a there's a specific handle like all of that is is signaling and the, that's great and all but like that's helpful for categorization but it's also not substance like a sub substantive substantive that's it substantive i can't do words sometimes like because you never know and and maybe that's a great example zooming out from that and bring it into the real world uh just because something looks a certain way doesn't mean it is um which is where you know that's a common sense thing pulling it back out of the realm of you know, deep philosophical thought like don't judge a book by its cover oh yeah it's what is it it's the line that frederick ingles has an on authority it's like they think they've changed the world because they added the peoples in front of the police or something like that i don't yep that's not the yeah. exact quote i know it's not the exact quote but it's, it's just a funny one talking about aesthetics well the uh, irony is that aesthetics is you know now that i'm thinking about it a little bit more you can you can look and you even see it with like the nazis like you you just take you make something look attractive uh and you draw people to it and people have a problem questioning something that everybody's being drawn to you know like i, I don't know i could i could go off on a tangent on that but okay that gives me a good idea of uh yeah, there was a little a, bit better idea. The stuff we were talking about before the uh, episode started about like the problem of representability and co-optation. Mm, I remember yeah, a joke yeah. I put on Twitter yesterday and it was like, oh, you're a real socialist and your politics are representable, question mark or something like that. Yeah, I it's think just, I remember seeing everything that. could be co-opted. And it's just like, mm -hmm. oh my God, what do we do now? And then you talk to the average worker and they'll tell you, what the fuck are you talking about? And It's literally the, the Jesse, what the fuck are you talking about meme? Like, and, and that's a, that's another interesting thing is I do see a lot of critique being like, oh, this can be co-opted, therefore we shouldn't do it, which is like the, I think with the pendulum swinging too far in the other direction, it's like, oh, because like, so you would argue, um, for example, uh, maybe, you know what, yeah, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go with this because it's the first thing that's coming to mind. Actually, like, I'm going to get off screen for a second. You can continue talking. I just want to uh, put it like, I want to put more light on my face. Yeah, you're good. Um, you might be a, someone that is um, concerned about like social justice or whatever, uh, and you're on the left, uh, you could hear such a wide variety of takes when it comes to that, that phrase alone. Um, and I think there's some takes that are maybe more rooted in, in cynicism that are like, oh, well, because that can be co-optive, we need to abandon that term or blah, 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 blah. And then the other side of it, you know, clearly it's an important aspect of, um, what I consider like the democratization of society and like having, I don't know, real equity. <laughs> or, or, uh, so I, I guess that's what I think of when I think of like that joke you made, like, oh, if it's, it's something that can be representable, it's uh, can be co-opted, therefore, we shouldn't have anything to do with it. And I don't know that that's always the answer, you know? It's like, that's like- Oh, it's not a, the answer. It's, it's gonna be a yeah. fucking waste of time arguing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and again, yeah, like, yeah, you go you go on the street and people are like, what, what are you talking about? Um, I am this, or I care about this. And it doesn't make sense to be like, let's argue about the, I don't know, the, what, the metaphysics of representation. I, I, and I don't know. Some, there's multiple essays that are like hundreds of pages long talking about that. I think we would have hoped to figure it out by now. I mean, I do have an answer. I need to read more into Lacanian and psychoanalysis, but I think that might be where the answer is. Maybe. Which is also a big word. Yeah, a, like, 
if you know anything about it there there's like the lacanian what is it i don't want to say triangle necessarily that that if you've read any slavo zizek that's mainly what he works with but it's like the the symbolic which are like uh the symbols in between like this means something to you it's not just like white blue in the, the words the wall um the imaginary which is the white blue and the wall and then there's the real which can't really be represented mm-hmm. um the psychoanalysis this is like traumatic stuff and i was like well thinking about my own journey as a leftist especially the part going from conservative to moderate to liberal part back a few years ago back in high school i was yeah. like okay well i'm thinking of writing a conference paper in a couple of years on this because I don't think I can work it out before the next South Carolina, North Carolina philosophical conference, which is in two months. Oh, um, crap. Shout out to the NCSC uh, PC. That thing. <laughs> um, which, I mean, it's, it's at the college this year, about like what, like a mile away from mine. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I definitely should submit to that conference. But it's just the idea of, I guess, traumatic event being this way around co-optation maybe mm-hmm. not like witnessing like a uh, genocide or like something like physically horrible to you like oof. but like i guess the more psychoanalytic version of trauma of like kind of opening yourself up maybe mm-hmm. empathy is the way around getting to this the problem with co-opting aesthetics because capitalism doesn't necessarily work on empathy i guess is the way i was no. thinking around um so if if there is this like moment of empathy that you can find and if that can somehow be brought out by aesthetics that's a socialist aesthetic i think that's the closest answer i have so okay yeah yeah i want to speak on that um and before i lose my train of thought um i think about the 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 phrases or the images or whatever, I know I talked about agitprop, whatever, any of that, uh, that's been the most stirring has been the thing that's awakened like um, empathy and connection with other humans. And like, hey, there is supposed to be um, a communal effort uh, amongst people to make a better, uh, I guess, life for each other for themselves and for each other. And like, um, so yeah, I mean, I could absolutely see empathy being the way through co-optation in that empathy is typically very, um, authentic. Uh, am I just using big words there? Empathy is very, um, genuine. Um, you know, I think authentic's like the right word, especially the way I view existentialism, Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. the traditional origin for that. And it's also interesting too, you know, we're, like I said, we're kind of in like sort of the, um, the, the new left area of speaking here because we're adding all these like concepts of aesthetics and whatever. I think, I think I'm understanding again, layman trying to put it all together. Uh, that's, that's one of the things that like maybe should be considered more because like, if we're going to connect to someone on the street, like if you're going to connect to a coworker, you're, it's, it's not as, um, nuts and bolts you know uh there has to be some sort of like emotional connection um and it's not unreal or not valuable or even some sort of like fake ideal it's like if you can connect with another person's sense of well-being and like hey i'm here like i'm i am here for you you are here for me we are in this together um 
I think that's actually really powerful and it's very human. Like it is scientific. Like that is, I, I don't know. I, again, I could be way off base, but I'm just kind of speaking this the best I know how to. Um, yeah. I, I, I guess to add on to that, I, I was thinking, and it's like uh, throughout the cold war and onward, like communism, socialism, uh, anti-capitalism, these words have kind of, uh, I guess, in the main debate, uh, especially after the neoliberal turn in the 70s, kind of like individualism versus collectivism. Yeah. And like you you had this debate and I guess the best thought I have is why? Why does why are those the two choices I have? Why do I have mm-hmm. to be a, a, a ego alone in the universe or a part of like a hive? Why are those my two yeah. options? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think this like a middle ground is actually what we need is like a, a social, like, uh, what's the Margaret Thatcher quote? There is no society, only individuals. I'd modify that. There is a society. Um, it's made of individuals. Um, mm. So you have all these people that make a conglomerate. They're not the conglomerate that is made up, that has sure. people in it. It is a conglomerate made of people. Like I said earlier, this, I mean, I probably need to think on this a little bit more. But like this kind of like middle ground between a collective and an individual, it's, I guess, connections might be the best yeah. way to put it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of things like that, like, I, cause I've, I kind of identify more as like a libertarian socialist, which people do not understand at first. It's a <laughs> um, broad term. It is a very broad term and it can mean a variety of things, but I think it's as simple as me or simple for me as like saying, like, you know, we're, we're looking to make sure people have the right to self-determination, but we are also trying to build like a community that is uh, accountable to itself, you know, um, and that takes care of itself and can represent its, its own interests. And like, so whatever that looks like, I, I don't have like, this is how it should be, but, but, um, like you said, there's a middle ground. It's not the Supreme, like it, even as like a lip sock, like I'm not over here, like whatever I want to do is the most important thing, but it's like, no, whatever, like gives people the most, uh, I guess the concept of like positive liberty and negative liberty kind of come into, into play in that. Like, uh, only, I only believe in positive liberty. I believe negative liberty is a false meta narrative. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, we're talking about libertarian co-option, like, or or like right-wing co-option of like, uh, the, the concept of freedom, (laughs) like, don't tell me I can't do this versus like, you know, um, society has like, somehow preconditioned you to not being able to I, fulfill your own needs or, or be able to connect with other people or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I mean, I don't know if I want to get into this, but negative liberty has a lot more presuppositions and assumptions mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. compared to positive liberty. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. is, it's very white male oriented. Yeah. 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 Just, well, again, just leave it there. Okay. That's, that's my clip. That's my clip. Everything. This is going on Twitter. Uh, negative liberty is white male privilege oriented. Um, you can quote me on that. Uh, I'll put it in my Twitter bio. Maybe um, get pissed off at me. Quote tweet me. You know, you have James Lindsay like just coming in hot. Yeah, like I said on the the episode where I went, or the, the little thing, or the the little video I put out before the critical race theory episode where I was talking about James Lindsay. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want to read his book to make fun of it, but I want to pay him. So if there's anywhere you can find, tell me where I can pirate that book. Because fuck James Lindsay. <laughs> oh, Lordy. I don't know. You can just, uh, you probably wouldn't even need to read his book. You just 
go through his tweets, but that's a whole different. He, time to go he's there. a he's a math guy. Like, why the fuck um, are you writing about critical race theory? You don't know anything about. It. You're not a sociology major. I don't. I don't know, man. I don't I know. I hate that guy so much. No, it's fine. Listen, let it flow through you. <laughs> um, okay. No. So so far, I know it's a little meandering, but I mean, I love I love hearing about that. I love hearing about like, you know, I know we kind of took a tangent off in the frankfurt school and then talked yeah, about a big big tangent sorry for the last 30 minutes guys no listen i fully expect you to have to edit some of this stuff because i am um i mean i listen to podcasts that are two hours long so fair fair fair, fair. um i was i'm trying to like bring up my knowledge level to to, to the conversation um hmm. yeah i i have to do that for the what is it machinic unconscious happy hour podcast christ what it's a it's mostly focusing on Deleuze and like Leotard and Lacan stuff which well, it, it's above me but if I listen no, yeah, to I enough know. it won't be above me anymore well I, I kind of do you know what? actually Let's shout out shout out to that podcast please go listen to Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour I love those guys they follow me so I have to promote them do it promote it go check it out this is random internet guy telling you to do it I'm the random internet guy they have a lot more followers than me so there you go I mean, if you're listening to this, there's like a 50% chance you listen to them already. There you go. Um, I do want to dovetail. So we did we did kind of get a little in the weeds. I hardly, hardly, we're not in the swamp, but we're definitely a little in the weeds. Um, how does, you know, you, you said earlier, you're kind of at a place in your life where philosophy makes sense. You have the time, the effort, the energy, uh, the focus, the incentive to, to be delving into these things. And, and you can kind of pick apart how that informs your economic, political worldview. Um, but like for, for people that that's not their, uh, their focus of study, how important do you think um, philosophy is or, or what, what is a good way to practice that kind of stuff? You know, I, me personally, like when it comes to philosophy, I, I, I dip my toes in a little bit, I'll read this or that. But like, you know, I consider, I have a, a set of ethics um, that I try to live by. And I have, uh, I don't even know if I want to call it a moral code. I guess it's a moral code, but, um, I, I do have some semblance of spirituality. That's, that comes from more like kind of Ram Dass stuff, uh, in like evangelical and like just, just a mishmash of different things. Um, but I honestly, for me, like, I think my, my, my political ethic probably informs more of my, my, belief system maybe i i don't know it, that's probably flipped at some point but um for 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 everyday person like that isn't super deep into this what would you recommend them doing that or do you think that would be beneficial or do you think there's a, another area of focus that like i don't know d does this question make sense um, to a degree, I, I think it does. I'm going to start off by referencing, uh, there's an onion video out there that they made in the last couple of years. And it's supposed to be this, uh, I think laid off steel factory worker or something in the Midwest. Yeah. And yeah. he talks about two minutes for about two minutes, uh, three minutes, maybe I'm not sure how long the video actually is. I'll put it in the description below. Um, but he's talking about how he voted for Donald Trump and how he regrets that after reading a bunch of feminist gender theory. And it's a it's an amazing joke because it's just like, yeah, if somebody could read feminist gender theory, they probably wouldn't vote for Donald Trump. But the thing right. is, that's not accessible to the fucking working class or to right. the majority of Americans. They don't have 
they don't have the time for it. They don't have the vocabulary for it. Like someone that can like spend their entire day doing philosophy like me can. Yeah. And that's, that's literally, and that's not a, that's not a slight, like, isn't the average like reading level in the United States, like eighth grade? Something I wouldn't like know, honestly. Um, uh, it, it's the, not super high. Hold on. Yeah. I'm look. Um, I do think that there is a benefit to looking into some philosophy. Um, a lot of it, you're going to have to learn a new language for pretty yeah, seventh much. To eighth grade. Seven to, oh my God. Yeah. Seventh to eighth grade. So anyway, yeah. Learn another language, i.e. German probably. But like, like you just have to like learn all those words and stuff like that. Like there's some words, especially like in philosophers like Hegel, which I do not recommend you read, that they just don't translate because mm, it's yeah. better leaving that way, that way is like a, a German word that means its own thing rather than trying to bring it over to English, which you kind of like solidify and authoritate that term when it needs to be left open. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of philosophies that way, which makes it pretty bad to show to the average person. Right. Uh, Cause it's also kind of meant to be like taken in context, especially a lot of like Marxist stuff. Oh, I'm about, I'm going to get yelled at in the, in, in a mm, help, help me Jesus in a dialectical method. Like it's a, it's an ongoing conversation and back and forth. Right. Essentially I'm about to get murdered. That's from my understanding, that's Kant's dialectic. Okay, that's Kant's dialectic. Okay. Marx's dialectic, which I right. disagree with, right. uh, comes from Hegel, which is a historic view right. of um, people read this in very many different ways. I need to read this book. My friend Fair. Eric gave me a commentary on uh, phenomenology of spirit, mind, or guys to help okay. you translate that last word. Uh, but the idea is, and uh, Hegel focuses a lot more on the idealism, if you want to make idealism versus materialism, which is sure. a whole different debate that I will not discuss right now. Sure, sure. Uh, but humanity as a whole, as a group consciousness, how I translate this, is moving through dialogue towards truth or ultimate truth. Okay. You, do That's... you know the idea of Spinoza's God at all? Kind of like a pantheistic god. Uh, heard of Spinoza. Not familiar necessarily with Spinoza's god. Spinoza, from what I know, is a pan- pantheist, which means that everything is god, pretty much. The universe is god. Okay. Um, Hegel takes that. I might be making a really big claim right here, but Hegel takes that. And I think this is how I translate the uh, dialectic, in that as a whole, as god is moving towards truth. We are all god. Hegel takes the or Marx takes that and flips it. It's more materialistic. Um, the contradictions of the past economic system kind of show themselves. They become apparent, and a new economic system comes out of that, mm-hmm. um, and eventually ending in communism. Got you. So they're okay. I see. So that is that is the that is the progression of history. Like that is that is the the markers. Like it's not it's not an individual or a quote unquote God moving towards ultimate truth. It is uh, where humanity is at materially in its progress towards communism. In, in a Marxist sense. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, no. There, that's, there that's, are other people that translate it. It's just like capitalism's that that's it. Yeah. yeah Dialectic yeah. done. We, we fucking race it. We can't get past it. Right. It, well, it, like it or not. Fuck it. Fuck you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so like, Part of my point in bringing all that up is that like th- this is an ongoing like conversation. Like there, there's, there is 
a never ending, like back and forth between so many different, like, I guess, ideas or conceptual conceptualizations of like what all this is. And yeah, you can't even translate Hegel one to one, so you have to right. you have to take it very different ways. You can't right. even agree on what the word means sometimes, right? Which is not so something like, you can say to the average person. No, that's exactly where I was going to go with. I was going to say so clearly as as someone that I've I've had some exposure to this, pretty big interest in it. Um, still can't, still don't fully like grasp everything. I don't grasp it. I just, right. I think if people were honest, they wouldn't really know. I mean, they've been arguing about it for 150 years. So uh, anyway, not to, not to, not to malign, not to malign people putting the effort in, but like person that works with me at work who, again, let's, let's bring it back to where we are in context of history. The real world, 2022. To 2022, South Carolina, uh, we're not a union state. Uh, it, I mean, we're in the union, but like- We're a right to work state. Right, to, we're, right we're a right to work state. Uh, uh, I don't know why. Uh, right to work state. So organizing labor does not happen. Um, yeah, what are we like? Two, I think it was 2.3% union for all workers in the state. Something like that. And I think I, public, public is worse. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's like two things you can't be in the South and it's one is like a union member and the other is like an atheist. And like, I, I'm just calling it like I see it. Uh, I don't think you could I, run for governor as an atheist in like Texas and a few other what? states. There's a few places where you can't run for office if you're an atheist still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, you know, we, we look at that kind of thing and how do you even begin to translate this big chunk of arguably unknowable information? Like you would spend your entire life looking through all of that and you like distill it into the most important things that's going to move your uh, community towards class consciousness. Because I think that's, you know, again, and people are going to argue even necessarily what that means, but like. It's a Western leftist thing say what it's a western leftist thing categorically there you go see you can even you can even break that down um so like what does it look like uh in your context to move towards socialism <laughs> like oh. how, how does that even work and you know you you can't even like I, some people would say you'd need to read all this theory and be able to like use the right language before you can even begin the discourse uh, to participate in the discourse, but like, what does that accomplish? Here? I mean, there's some problems. I mean, in, in spaces like sociology, I could get it. Like, if you're going to talk about race, be competent in talking about race. Yeah. No matter really your race, because um, like you're always going to have uh, unconscious bias and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Stuff that the average working class person has no understanding of. I, actually, I have I have a a taking off point from here. Go um, please. There, there is. I used to date someone that that went to the that went to school in Charleston for college. So I, I drive down there a bunch, um, and there was this one time. It's where I want to say it's about ten miles or so after I ninety five turns to I I twenty six heading towards Charleston. Mm-hmm. Um, if that means anything to you. 
um, I think it's the like Holly Hill area in South Carolina. I don't know exactly how to describe that. Okay. But uh, um, I was like, hey, uh, my Wi-Fi is not working. I can't play Spotify right now. So I'm just going to turn on the, the radio. And I ended up on this political uh, radio station because I it might have been one of the presets that I had in just a different area. Or it might I just might have scrolled. It's been like a year now since that happened. Mm-hmm. But I remember the conversation the person was having. It's ob- I mean, you're in South Carolina. You're not really going to have a leftist or a liberal radio host that isn't national. Um, yeah. But it was this it was this local guy in the area, uh, low country South Carolina kind of stuff. Um, and someone called in and it was like, I have racial, uh, what is it, sensitivity training coming up at my workplace or something like that, um, in like a somewhat southern accent. I won't call it like deep necessarily. Um, and right. like, should I leave my job? How do I deal with this? Should I sue or something like that? Um, it's been too long for me to remember the rest of the location, uh, the conversation. I think they, I think he was asking if he, if the radio host wanted him to quit his job or something like that for having to do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember how they answered either, but that's the problem you have. Um, like sociology can describe these people. White fragility is a book about these people. Um, and the answer is <laughs> racial uh, insecurity training or whatever it's called uh, makes these people a little bit more racist. And that's not a good thing. Um, so you're dealing with these big terms while trying to get these people that don't like big terms on your side. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of contradictory. Um, Marcuse has the thing. It's like a balance of theory and praxis. So praxis without theory is just going to be completely useless. It's going to be just uh, protesting for nothing. Theory without praxis means nothing you know big words now uh, congratulations and then you got to find this good balance of just like okay i know what i'm protesting for i know how to effectively protest mm-hmm. um but i'm also not reading too much yeah well you know it's meeting people where they're at like i've i've had a lot of good conversations um and you know what you know what works empathy and, and, yeah you know, i think empathy is the way forward like if you're just going to get pissed off anytime someone doesn't yeah. use um the correct terms, especially if you're talking about somebody that has absolutely no background in sociology. Sure. Like if I say that stuff, call me out. Like I've, I've, sure. I own the 1619 project. I should be able to tell before, mm-hmm. like I've read a lot of sociology stuff. Mm-hmm. I should be able to hold myself a little bit more accountable than the average factory guy. But like, if you're getting, like there's some things you should get pissed off for that. Maybe if they say the N word or something like that, you can get pissed yeah. off. But like, yeah. There's some words I think you should give them a little bit more leeway just to try and convince them over so they can understand later when they're on your side why they shouldn't say that anymore. You, you're you're moving people towards like so you're helping people see the world in a different way. And like I know, especially during all the the like the protests uh, during last summer during like the BLM protests, like there's a ton of conversations at work that just were like, well, hey, let's let's break this down. Like, have you considered like, maybe this is why uh, people have issue with like how police operate in this country. Like if you went through this experience, like if you felt this, if you saw this, would you not like relate to that somehow? And like helping like have that conversation through, through empathy uh, and, and, and helping people kind of open up and, you know, generally, you know, I think, good faith people will, will be open to that. Like, you know, this is not me saying, Hey, we should like hang out with Nazis. Like they're, they're okay. Like, no, fuck Nazis. Like some people should get punched, like again, whatever. But 
you know, for the most part, there's a lot of people that actually just being empathetic, meeting them where they're at, uh, works really, really well. Um, and, and most people, I don't know, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a naive. Most people don't want to be shitty. They just don't know that they're shitty. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. A lot of apolitical people, especially moderately political people that just, they know they're voting and they know what party they're voting for. And that's about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember this, this comment. What is it? Trying to remember what something popped in my head and it popped out. I'm trying to remember what it was. Uh, it was kind of a response to that. And just, um, Oh yeah. It was the, um, I don't, Oh, explaining this concept to you kind of dialogue stuff that you see happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I'm a moderate on this, I guess, dialogue. Like I've, I've had some friends that have problems with it of just like, because you're this identity, you could, should be able to explain all these things about being this identity to me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people just don't understand that. They're just that they don't care about the sociology behind it. But if you know mm-hmm. the sociology philosophy of, politics behind your identity i think to a degree you owe people to explain it maybe not the people you're talking to but the other people in your identity i mean i'm, I'm a white guy um but mm-hmm. like i understand a lot of stuff and i can explain it to a lot of people sure um the main the main reason i say that um that you if you're competent in this stuff you owe your community or the the community of people that you're competent in especially when that community is not there to talk for themselves um, to talk about it in a in in that light because Nazis will talk their fucking head off. Yeah, like, yeah, they'll 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 take the narrative. They'll take like you're not talking for the other person's sake. You're talking for your community's sake because if you don't talk to somebody, a Nazi might or someone on the far right might or someone that's not a Nazi on the far right might. Like yeah. that's the problem you run into right there. It's like try to be competent and stuff. Talk to people about stuff. Um, definitely there are some people you don't want to talk to, especially if you're not someone that's, uh, got white, I'm a white guy. I'm like six foot. Um, like um, nobody's going to try and connect me or anything like that, or try to just like sucker punch me on the side of the street or something like that. That's not something I have to worry about. Like if that is something you have to worry about, I get it. Cool. Um, especially just talking to certain groups, but like, if you can, if you can find like an apolitical person, you can explain this stuff to probably should. Sure. Yeah, well, and I think there's layers to it because like it's one, it's all contextual. Like there's for me, like I do find that like if I know about something, uh, there, I don't know, there was this maxim, maybe that's not the right word, but it's like now that you know, you have a responsibility to share. That sounds know? like I think that's maxim, yeah. Yeah, like you know, once you once you once you see it, or once you once you've learned something, you have a responsibility to speak about it. Um, you can't just ignore it. Um, and I think that's, that applies to my life a lot. Um, I think it's a little different when we're talking about, I think minority groups and like expecting them to bear like a burden of like having to explain everything that they're going through, uh, to just the random person that inquires, you know, because I think, I think there's, there can be a little bit more sensitivity with that or there should be in like, it, it really just depends. Um, you know, in the meantime, though, the stuff that I know about, again, yeah, because I mean, those are those are conversations of like, you know, it's one thing to talk about like uh, uh, an experience for a minority person and what they go through and um, whether it be like race or LGBTQ stuff, like 
that's that to me is different than something that is like maybe uh and will will vary from situation to situation than something like class where it's like okay because i know this uh i'm going to speak about like economic information because i because i understand this or or there is an aspect of like minority interests and and minority issues that like um i i have I think maybe I do have like a responsibility to speak on, especially not speak over, um, but to like in a workplace where it's like, you know, a majority of conservatives that might see like BLM or something as like this, this huge negative thing. It's like, okay, well, no, I think because I've, I've had conversations with people and like, uh, you know, it's important for me to transfer that, that information, that knowledge and those experiences on and help other people have empathy, you know, and, and, and maybe change their viewpoints. Does that make sense? Kind of. I, I mean, yeah, especially for our area. I remember, um, I think it's episode seven of our podcast, the guest we had on SDL, um, he was talking about um, particularly, um, and I've had like TikToks talk about this as well, of um, like, I think, I'm not exactly sure. We might have been talking about like why Republicans think they're the majority when they're not really over 50%. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because those people live in like Republican heavy areas, mm-hmm. um, like around us, um, like Effingham where you work is probably fairly white heavy. Coward and Scranton are probably both like just for Florence County alone. Um, Lake City, I don't know. Um, but for like the, the country areas of the part of South Carolina that we live in, those mm-hmm. are going to be very... Uh, semi-isolated white heavy areas even if those towns are around like 50 50 white Mm -hmm. minority rate like Mm -hmm. Florence and Lake City I think Mm -hmm. are um and the the thing that happens there is that the those people that are like semi-isolated are like complete almost completely white communities um I mean that's a pretty urban county in South Carolina if you go throughout the south not most most counties are not that urban so that semi-isolated white community is what probably a lot of the South con- is configured of. So you just, when you're driving out, you only see these Trump signs. You only see other people that have Trump flags and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, or they're flying a Confederate flag or something like that. So you come to the idea that um, people everywhere are like this, and that uh, this is why you see people that are against the electoral college or that are pro-electoral college. Like mm-hmm. there's no liberal states, there's liberal cities or something like that. Um, and it's just like there's more people there just because you live in the middle of the country doesn't mean those people don't exist um, and they think the world is how they see it as there there's a very funny video i remember coming out after the election it was this guy standing up at a red lobster and it's like did anyone here vote for biden nobody raises their hand he's like exactly the the election was fraud it's just like what liberal is going to fucking red lobster tell tell me they've already eaten brunch it's a saturday like where are the liberal there's not going to be a liberal to red yeah. lobster in the middle yeah. bumfuck nowhere south or no they're too busy eating babies at that point yeah we're at planned parenthood eating yeah. the stem cells exactly just mainlining them um no i mean but it's again it's interesting because there is such an intersection between all of these things and and again i i think the intersection of things beyond just a material uh perspective a materialistic perspective uh like the real world actually is an intersection of a ton of different like um oh god what's the right word 
ideological maybe is that the word uh i don't know like i i i think the quote that might be what you're thinking of at least from my my point of view i'm running off is like that, three, four hours of sleep so sorry <laughs> it's okay in the political world dealing in the real world is not a dealing with an objective world to a degree i guess you're not dealing with a fully material world there you're dealing with stuff clouded fogged by ideology sure that that's what that's the world you have to deal that's the real world of politics yeah. you're not yeah. just dealing with reality one-to-one you're dealing with it behind the screen in between you and reality yeah yeah and i would i would almost and again i i don't know if it's true but like i think it would be almost impossible to completely uh diffuse that fog like you know i think I think Maybe the, with, the left has it too as well. Like sometimes I forget Republicans aren't just like random bots online. Yeah. Like I'll go home and it's like, oh, people actually hold these positions. So what, yeah. what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. These are just people I could yell at on Twitter for Twitter points. Exactly. Right, right. Well, again, there, there's such a like disconnect between the online world and like what's happening in, in real life. And, and you know, I'm not, I'm not going to shut down people for doing good work on social media. I'm not going to like, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a place for it. Um, but like sometimes Twitter brain's a real thing. Um, and I, you know, I've been victim, victim. Uh, no, I've been uh, guilty of, of being that way uh, before too. And I don't know, like life is complicated. If you're going to talk to the person next to you, they're not just, um, they're not just like a lump of flesh and bone. Uh, I mean, biologically, sure. But like, they're also if they're you crack open their head and like look into their brain. They're gonna be dead. They're gonna be dead first off. But, but there was second, stuff happening. You're gonna be able on. to see. You're gonna be able to see their ideology right there, just sitting on the, the cranium. Yeah. Pink lumps. Uh, pink lumps. Yeah. I don't know. It, I'm just I'm just confronted with the fact that like you're gonna have to do a lot better than being really good at one type of analysis to really reach people and make effective change in in the world like and i and i say that more as like a thing to leftists it's like you know you can you can have a really great understanding of pick your pick your favorite fucking flavor of leftism but like unless you yeah it it doesn't matter mal Kant, whatever i doesn't doesn't fucking matter Kant is a leftist i don't know i i just yeah i know i just threw a name out there like and it's not really gonna mean much if it if it doesn't do anything, you know. I I don't know. That I guess that's yeah, that's. I, I'm a philosophy at. major. If you go up starting talking about Kant, I'm I'm walking away. I don't care. I, I hate Kant. I can't deal with it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't hate I, Kant. He's just a boring ass motherfucker. Like maybe that's what this should have been. Is just you ranting about. Your least favorite philosophers. Kant's my, not my least favorite. I mean, there, there's much like the Thomas Aquinas is worse, but I mean, he's like a Catholic <laughs> philosopher. No, but I'm like, familiar. But I'm like familiar. Kant's, Listen, evangelical. I have. I had to go over in class this semester. It was really. It was like faith and reason. It's just like I don't get this. Like, what is going on? Like, I can get a body without organs in the Deleuzian concept, but I can't get what you're talking about with like, what is it like? god's law the eternal divine and natural law or something like that it's just not in my program anymore i don't believe in human nature interesting i'm gonna 
I'm going to throw a thing out that I read that is random that um, is also related. Uh, and it's kind of philosophical, so I feel like I'm contributing. Um, have you ever read um, The Eternal Fascist or, or Fascism? I've listened to the essay. Yeah, Umberto Echo. Highly recommend to all of your podcast listeners. Uh, fantastic, I think, um, analysis of what fascism is. And um, I don't know. I think I, I personally think it's indispensable. I've talked to some communities that don't like it. I think they're confusing it with the other 14 points that were put during the George Bush area. But that's oh. not that's not echo. Um, there's a lot of different versions of fascism. Uh, yeah. I mean, the least thought psychoanalysis was a little tiny fascism or something like that. Um, Oedipus complex, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I might be misconstruing that. But I, I think Echo is probably the closest I like. Um, I mean, we could talk about that for a moment. It's, we, we can. I just want to Some people just something. thought, I, I've talked to some people. Yeah. Um, their yeah. opinions aren't great, but they talk like it's just too broad. It fits too many countries. And I think they're missing out by not reading the essay because it really starts off with like explaining all these fascist nations like Mm -hmm. if you want to explain fascism you have to understand at least just the 30s and 40s you have to be able to explain japan's fascism italy's Mm -hmm. fascisms germany's fascism and uh spain's fascism in one fell swoop Mm -hmm. and that's what echo was dealing with what he said is you have like if you have all the letters lined up you have to connect a to b B to C uh, and C to D, and you have to be able to somehow, or there might be connections between A and B, there might be connections between B and C, there might be connections between C and D, um, and you have to find, overall, to find a term for fascism, a connection from A to D. Yeah. And that's why it has to be so broad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is like, it's one of those things where, because sometimes it can be hard to spot or identify, having those touch points are, are useful. And it, you know, it's from someone that is like was from Italy at the time, uh, Mussolini. So it's like, okay, this is, uh, you know, it's based in reality. Um, well, it, fascism is a particularly hard concept to, I guess, nail down because it is kind of, it's fairly anti intellectual. So it kind of just moves yeah, away from definitions wiggly. to a degree. It's, it's a little wiggly, but it's always going to like come back to some sort of weird like um, uh, veneration of the traditional. But like there's always some weird like Cult when they stuff. say traditional, it's I don't know. It's always kind of nodding to like anything that's anything that's beyond. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Like Western, there needs to be a whole other episode on like the concept of like yeah the fascism and stuff like that that it's just too broad to discuss in one episode sure 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 yeah which i I was thinking of reading mind cop for one uh don't clip me on that um uh for a conference paper we got him but like google books doesn't have the entire thing because i didn't want to actually buy it because like either i got it from barnes and noble and i had a receipt Mm -hmm. that said cameron karsten book mind cop or I bought it from like a, the random sailor and didn't have that receipt, but I might have possibly given money to neo-Nazis. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you kind of stuck there. And I was reading and when, it. The, when the bookseller nods at you, then you're like, no, 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 I'm criticizing this. And then I get shot. But 
I, I was reading the first few paragraphs and it's supposed to be Hitler's life story as he's telling it in what, like 1922 prison or something like that. And it's like Zizek was talking about in one of his, uh, on one of his uh, talks about how poorly written this book is. And I was like, yeah. it can't be that bad, I guess. Like word to word, sentence as a whole, sentence structure reads well, but as a paragraphical text, absolutely horrible like he starts the first paragraph um talking about like his mother and his father and by the second paragraph which is on these paragraphs are only at max maybe 10 lines long at max maybe 15 actually these are not long paragraphs by the second paragraph he is talking about how germany should be united by blood and by the third he goes back to his story that's how poorly written this book is like that convinced millions of germans like the people who made fucking hegel and heidegger that convinced them that like it's it's a very low bar of like a book like it's a like most manifestos probably suck and hitler's is probably on that sucking list yes i mean i would i would agree you have no uh no critical response from me on that one but like it is funny like How? you have to be able to accept the reality. There could be a fascist manifesto that is fairly well written. Like, yeah. is it bad? Yes, but it could be fairly well written. But none of those exist. Like the Turner Diaries suck. Yeah, Mein Kampf sucks. Like these people just can't write. Like the the anti intellectualism I think hurts them. I, it's like remember what they took from you. Yeah, your fucking ability to write a decent, uh, you know, piece of literature. But yeah, I mean. I don't know. I don't. I don't really have anything to add to that. Like, it, it's it's a little insulting to be honest. Like Hitler can write one of the worst books of all time, and then take over Germany and like half of Europe, and then leftism has like one of the biggest like uh, like intellectual traditions in history. It can't do jack shit. Mediocre, ang- uh, yeah. It's like pretty much like mediocre, angry white guy. I mean, yeah. I mean. <laughs> If you're talking to a working class, like, Mein Kampf is a lot easier to read than to lose. I mean, I'm going to kid you. Okay, so there's a really uncomfortable point to that. Like, why, you know, maybe one of the struggles of, one of the one of the difficult struggles of, like, leftist conversation is that, like, I mean, literally our entire, like, interview that we've had has been a lot of concepts that most people aren't going to really grasp. I don't really grasp completely, and, like, yet if you come along and you keep your message simple you i mean you don't want to like water it down or make it to like i think getting uh, rid of a lot of these concepts especially dialectical materialism will be generally extremely helpful to the left (laughs) well just explain like you know you i i'm sorry i keep like having interruptions here going back to the aesthetic argument there there are certain like concepts and phrases that can be communicated very concisely I think that can get to the heart of what most leftists are trying to accomplish. Um, or at least if, if you're going to like break it down into what does leftism look like in your community or socialism look like in your community, and maybe it looks different than what socialism looks like in someone else's community, find a way to effectively communicate that and build I mean, that yeah. like, go ahead. Uh, I remember uh, yesterday I was reading uh, part of uh, Mark Fisher's final lectures. Specifically, I was reading through the first lecture of that series of post-capitalist desire. 
Yeah. And um, I mean, he was expounding on something that I've noticed beforehand in past economic systems is that like within like feudalism, you have a part of the economy that is capitalistic and then eventually it becomes the majority of the economy through hundreds of years of revolution. Um, and before that, feudalism existed in the slavery system of the Romans and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, to a degree. Um, but like Mark Fisher is talking about like, what sectors of our economy are socialistic? They, they have to exist and we have to find them. That's mm-hmm. the kind of stuff that we want to expand on. So there's a really good, I mean, so when it comes to the United States, the, the union tradition, I think, I think organized labor and leaning back into that is going to be a huge deal. I think there's yeah. a, a already a wave of that kind of reoccurring, which is wonderful. Like that's a lot of people that probably prior to 2020 had no idea that they could organize and get like actual benefits. It's really uh, hopeful, especially like yeah. the Starbucks stuff and the Amazon stuff, them oh, finally yeah. unionizing. Absolutely. John what was it? There was two in Buffalo, one failed, one passed. And mm-hmm. now there's a bunch of Starbucks around the country maybe like 10 to 20 that are trying to unionize now. That's going to do more. You just have to do it once. And then everybody else knows they can do it. Yeah. That's going to do more for, for socialism in the United States than any online argument that's ever occurred ever. I think a UBI would help too. And Mark, Mark Fisher was talking about that in his lecture. I mean, that's kind of an appeal to authority, but like having a UBI or base income, even if Mm -hmm. it might cause some inflation, which I mean, I'm not an economist. I don't care about economics. It's um, more made up than most philosophy. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, to a degree. Um, but like giving someone a base level of income that they that's not like if they work more, they lose it. Um, that's going to give people a standard of living and a standard expectation. I think um, on what was it? It was a let me look up what YouTuber this says. Um, but they were talking about um, the problems of the uh, working class in the early tw- 19th century, no, 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um, it is FD Signifier. Um, he's a pretty good YouTuber, especially on African-American class issues um, individually. And I, it, it got me thinking a little bit because he was talking about um, there were union strikes in the early 20th century um, bec- and the unions were primarily white and the... Uh, black workers would be used as scabs to replace them um so like that that antagonism was purposeful by by the bosses too yeah i think what he goes into is kind of like how like working class antagonisms among themselves kind of end up hurting them um because like white people kept black people out of the unions because of racism and eventually the black people replaced them which causes more racism and which is why black people aren't at fault at all and like you're not getting mad at your boss and bringing it be like, hey, we used to work here. We have skills too. We don't want you off the job. Just mean the more workers we have, the less people they can replace us with. So you have the solidarity and it's just like, okay, why didn't that happen? It obviously didn't happen. Here we are 200 years, or 100 years later, not 200. It's not quite that long. Um, but I think the thing that we would benefit from a UBI, and I'm like I said earlier, I'm not an economist, is that, Workers in America, especially in the past, I don't know to what degree now, um, maybe because of debt, they have to think of this way, but a lot of us are stuck in a short-term thinking cycle. We can only think about what's going to happen to us in the short term. 
So right. white workers are concerned about getting replaced by black workers, so they don't allow them in the union or other stuff. Racism makes them not want to allow them in the union and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And racism is supported by black workers taking them taking those jobs after they go on strike. Mm-hmm. But black workers do that because they need jobs. They have to survive like that. Uh, they weren't invited to the union. They didn't get the wages or higher wages that would come out of that solidarity, um, nor did they get the jobs that might come out of that solidarity. Um, so everybody is hurt in the interaction of having to exist within this short-term thinking. Right. Except for the boss, the boss wins. Yeah, they just make money. Well, again, that's why the struggle against, like, it's a dual struggle. Like it's a struggle against racism and capitalism. Like, you know, it's, it's a chess game and you're stuck with pawns. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. That's, that's, that's a really good point. Uh, there were, and there was something that I, I wanted to add to it, but I, I you lost, lost your train of thought. Yeah, I did. I lost a train of thought. I uh, do that on, on podcast a lot. No, it's somewhat terrifying. Um, but no, I mean, that's a, it's a good point. Um, Oh yeah, the, the the labor movement in the United States. Yeah, I mean, so speaking on the 1920s, yeah, like you said, um, the unions just. I think they. I think the vote to include like black people in unions, like it got denied by a very slim margin. But in my opinion, that probably doomed the labor mu- movement because not long after that, it started to really tank. And and that's again, that's illustrative of the fact that like you can't you can't ignore the racism that exists in the United States when you talk about uh, like actual, um, like try, trying to develop like a socialist uh, base uh, in yep. the US. And uh, I, I think this leads to a point that I did want to get in this, to this yeah. interview. And yeah. it was something I commented on a couple of days ago under someone that I've had on the podcast post. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was talking about like, uh, race reductionism is a bigger problem than class reductionism in the political or like the actual world because um, mm. like socialists aren't the mainstream yeah. so like you're stuck with conservatives and liberals and I responded with that that's not my comment but uh, my comment mm. was that reductionism is the problem mm. uh, if you if you want to reduce the race then you're gonna you're completely living leaving out the like the class problem that's inherent in race and mm. cause the current race racial I guess, politics of the day. Um, if you're going to do just class consciousness, you're not going to solve any of the problems because the racial divide in America and many other countries is what keeps the class system going as it currently yeah. is. Yes. Um, you need to understand all these problems in common if you really want to fix them. And yeah. that's a hard problem to go through. Um, I, th- I think it's it was a curse and the, a blessing the 60s were because I think politics finally aligns, like the labor movement to a degree, finally aligns with like the socially left movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the labor movement dies and neoliberalism 10 years later. So it kind of, it kind of hurts uh, yes. to a degree because the, the working class is fairly white, right wing. Um, so yeah. you, you're kind of hit with this double-edged sword. It's just like, okay, finally, everything lines up. And it's just like, oh, wait, oh where'd everything go? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. It, 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 well, it undercut it. I mean, capital maneuvered and it, and it, uh, it undercut the labor movement and outflanked them from the right. And want a bunch of like working class people over to uh, more conservative viewpoints, and then as far as economic uh, economic movement, it just yeah it, it killed it. So um, that is a good point though. Like I want to I want to I was trying to think of another um, really important 
labor thing that's happening in the United States. Uh, Just the Kellogg workers. Yeah, the Kellogg workers. They got um, fired and then then a bunch of bad stuff happened in the factories because you just hired a completely new set of workers. Right. But, 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 oh yeah. Things that, that translate in the U S uh, union for sure. Um, and UBI is fairly popular. The, in recent the UBI years. thing. Um, Andrew Yang's the only good thing he ever did was popularize sure. that. I, I do have some caveats with that. I think UBI can be used to gut like social programs if you're not careful. But again, if you construct I, it correctly, it can be really helpful. There's a book I read. I've mentioned it in the last podcast episode talking mm-hmm. about that. But chapter four of the book, it's a very short book on first. So I forget. It's like automation, the future of work or something like that. But it talks about the di- chapter four talks about the different ways that UBI can be oriented. Um, if you want, want a fuller explanation, I think it's somewhere in the last episode. Um, but uh, the right wing is a thousand dollars replaces the it replaces welfare yeah. for this left wing. It replaces salary. Yes, that is that is a very powerful distinction that has to get made, and I think that's something that Yang kind of like waffled on. Uh, Yang but like, was kind of like it was he, his was much more right wing. Yeah. Um, yeah, the most left wing. I don't think we can hope in my lifetime to ever get, but I do think social programs on top of a good maybe what what is the standard now? I think they want maybe thirteen fourteen hundred mm-hmm. a month. Um, because the problem you had there was if you replace welfare with these programs at most maybe people end up with uh, people that were previously on welfare end up with maybe 200 300 more a month than they had previously mm-hmm. um which is a problem because you have all these people now that that uh didn't have these problems of disability or poverty beforehand that were, weren't getting checks that now have extra money to go to the beach or something like that but you have this money that maybe now it's a little bit more secure to get but you can't do all those extra things that people were allowed to so you didn't really benefit from this program. You might got a little bit. You can get slightly fancier food now or something like that. But that's right. about it. You can right. go to Ruby Tuesdays instead of McDonald's every other okay. week. You can finally, yeah, go to Red Lobster. Um, you can go to Red Lobster and talk about uh, how many people here voted for voted Joe Biden. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You haven't, you haven't quite gotten uh, go to go to um, Planned Parenthood and eat uh, eat stem cells money yet, but mm-hmm. you'll get there. Um, so the other thing uh oh crap i keep losing it i apologize i really am like i i I, uh, think we're at a it's the left wing i think to a degree is cursed because the programs it fights for if implemented would all increase like the popularity of leftism in the country but we're all stuck in a reality where none of those programs exist exactly and like the the pathway to getting to them is so blocked like there isn't we're we're at like a reverse death of the author like it's a pre-birth of the like the author isn't born yet so everything it does gets to be defined um if you know what death of the author means um i've heard it come up a lot it has to do uh, let me let me just try let me good good example is donald trump actually because he's so pro he's like extremely pro-vaccine and Mm -hmm. like if he died people could make him into an anti-vaccine figure but he's not dead so they don't get to do that um right Right. But like Medicare for all, UBI and stuff like that, they haven't happened. It's a reverse death of the author. So as long as they haven't happened, people ideologically can define what they are, even if it's a complete lie. Yeah. Well, okay. So full circle, uh, can't judge a book by its cover. Well, you can't, you can't even tell if it's the right book. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I was trying to be clever and, and bring that around, but yeah, no. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Somebody put the Wizard of Oz cover over James Joyce's Ulysses. That's what we're dealing with here. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's, there's, there's no one. No one really knows what's going on. It's, it's very difficult to make any headway realistically. Um, there, you know, the U.S. has a lot of work to do. Um, the left in the U.S. The U.S. is yeah. already doing a lot of work stopping yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The <laughs> left does. Oh, there, there was one more point I wanted to bring up. I, I thought you would think it's funny, but uh, yeah. Mark Fisher in these um, lectures brought up, um, what was it? The Leninist superego is what he called it. In that, okay. um, I mean, it, it's a psychoanalytic term, the superego, if you know what it means. Um, vaguely. Vaguely, it, the traditional understanding is like where your morals are, but yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like, um, I guess, actually, it's like anxiety, stuff like that. The stuff that like... Um, it's overhead, like uh, pressures and stuff like that that society places on you, all of that stuff. Um, but the superego for, or the Leninist superego, as he explains it, is this kind of idea that socialism is kind of like, there's this bar, and if you don't reach it, that's not, that's not you're not actually trying to go to socialism or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you need this big, like, even, like reform isn't enough. You have to do it in this one big movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like no. even if reform gets to this eventually, you have to do it now. You're not doing socialism, right? It's if it's not done this way, it can't work. And I think um, I, I was having some interesting conversations today about it. Um, like again, I, I, maybe it's naive, but I feel like progress is progress. Um, yeah, there's and- there's also in that it's uh, the left becomes nostalgic in a way. Of yeah. doing things as at, like revolutions or reform or whatever as they have been done instead of actually responding with the current reality right so like to, the linen yeah. and superego gets stuck up on how the uh, the revolution in 1917 went rather than focusing on hey maybe different version or different ways of achieving something are necessary now yeah i would argue it, it is it's it's super necessary like getting hung up on the past it is useful to understand the past um it's useful to learn. Um, but like where we're at, I, I mean, I hate to be super negative about it, but I mean, capitalism kind of won, like it's it winning. Did. It's winning. Um, and what is, what is the best resistance to like capitalism and, and neoliberalism in our current context? And we were actually talking about like, um, the, the social democracies of, of like, Latin America, um, and how, like, I think there's a pretty broad support amongst every type of leftist. As you can see it on Twitter, you can get a good gauge. Uh, like, no one's going, man, Lula's gonna. He's he's an imperialist. Like, no one's saying that kind of shit. Like, um, you know, we're 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 rooting for that, and it makes me wonder, like, what could the left in in the U.S. do to to build that kind of movement um because it's not i wouldn't say it's purely electoral there's clearly like it's a lot more activist oriented and it's a lot more like protest oriented and there's a lot of like um i would say uh is dual dual power kind of stuff going on but then it, it does take that energy to um the election cycles uh, but then again, they actually have candidates that are uh, running on those types of platforms. And so like, 
you know, the United States, I think the left, it really sucked. Like Bernie, Bernie was, I think the last person to effectively bring that kind of message that like, I'll still run into conservatives that are like, man, I liked Bernie too bad. They fucked him over. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, man. And, and, and you look at the stuff he was talking about and you, and you say, okay, well, what is American leftism and like, what is important? Um, and what connects with people. And I think you can look at like some of the concepts that built that movement. And, you know, in, in retrospect, people have maligned it in a lot of different ways, but like the energy in 2016 and even to some degree in like 2020 um, for, for that type of leftism in the US, like that's what made sense here. And I think if we had been able to achieve some of those things, we would have been able to resist neoliberalism in a way that hasn't been done since the fucking 70s because nothing's been done since the 70s really to stop it like the democratic party has continued to move uh it, it has only offered vague resistance to uh the the to neoliberalism i mean i i again i do have some politicians I absolutely love but whatever uh sue me yell at me on twitter but like overall uh there hasn't been a lot of effective resistance against that so like Back back in 2016, when you had him saying we're going to call out corporate ownership, you know, of 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 our politicians, we're going to try to get rid of um, Citizens United, we're going to get like rid of dark money, like all of the stuff that we know is wrong with our system. Um, we got to do those things. It, it doesn't, and it, it may not be in a uh, in 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 an, an old writing by Marx. It may not be uh whatever your favorite philosopher has like written down before like it might be a new problem that we have to solve with a different like strategy um i don't know maybe maybe that's really maybe that's really simplistic that there is one other thing i wanted to say because i finally came back to me why reduction what is what is the per like why is leftism why is socialism not comprehensive why doesn't why doesn't the way we like conceptualize socialism um, why is that not a comprehensive um, approach to everything going on in the world? I, we, we reduce things to a single issue. And I know that's I know that's Marxist, but like like we've talked about all night, we that works in a classroom. Does it work in the real world? Um, yeah, I, I think the thing is, like, if you really take every issue, no matter which issue you want to, you can find a one source to it like yeah capitalism's yeah. the problem with everything yeah, yeah. sure sure, so sure. What, what the hell are you going to do about it though if you don't understand like if you want to do class reductionism cool you're not going to yeah. solve anything because you're not going to understand how class problems manifest themselves in the real world if you're not mm -hmm. willing to understand uh racial politics if you're not willing to understand gender politics and stuff like mm -hmm. that yes. that's how class structures actually work yeah. Um, in the real world, there there is like the money side of class. There's also a a the socioeconomic side of class, or the socio part of the socioeconomic part of class mm -hmm. to a degree. Of mm -hmm. like the women generally make less. Uh, there are typical views of women in different class structures and how mm -hmm. women should act. Um, and this is all very American. Like this is this is. I mean, we, we're we're sticking to the American conversation here. Like. You know, these are these are American problems. There, uh, there so. are literally techno feminists. I think Mark Fisher brought up there were just like a lot of the problems of women can be solved through material conditions. It's like art or what is it? Artificial wombs would free the woman from like her only biological duty or something like that. 
in uh what is it traditional society yeah like there's no argument in it like if, if a machine could give birth i don't i don't have to that's not my job anymore i don't care mm-hmm. if i have a womb or not mm-hmm. i do whatever the fuck i want you can keep the human oh, yeah. population yeah. steady right. um some people yeah like that, that, that free, like everything connects to each other. If you're not going to take a step back and be like, okay, yeah, I can reduce everything to a class problem. But then like, how do I explain that to people? It's you can't because yeah. the class problems aren't just class problems. They're racial problems. They're gender problems. They're blank, blank problem, et cetera, et cetera. Words. I've always, I've, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I'm done. I was going to say, I've always seen this kind of stuff. And again, like I said, I'm a I'm kind of big picture Uh it's like a pair of glasses, you know, like there are times where you have to put on like class reductionism and you, and you see how this, this through line goes through history and you're like, okay, fuck, this is why these forces are acting the way they are. And it's like, oh, well, okay. Now we got to look at like, let's look at the lens of like race and how that like has a through line through history. And then it's like, okay, well, let's talk about um, like gender issues or what our religion or whatever. Um, because all of those, uh, they they they've run through our our world and our history simultaneously. It's yeah, not I, like a. I don't a think sequence. you're even doing a proper reading of Marx if you're not willing to be intersectional. Because Marx yeah. has the theory. It's even if you're just going to do class and religion, as it might have yeah. been a problem in nineteen or what is it, eighteen forty four Germany or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like Marx specifically noticed that religion followed the pattern of class structure. Uh, the Protestant Reformation was a much more individual capitalist style of religion being done compared mm-hmm. to the hierarchical um, feudalist style of the Catholic Church. Right, of right, right. That the, the king, blah, 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 knights, and so on, uh, cardinals, um, yeah. and stuff like that. Like, that, there's already intersectionality there of you going to religion is naturalizing the class structure to you of um, that I'm an individual now that I can interpret it, um, that there's no forces acting upon me, which was the, the way the class structure wants you to think. Those things are being naturalized through these other means. They don't interact with you 100% materially. Would that be would that be an example of like the development of cultural hegemony? Like, sort of like... I think to a degree, possibly. I still need to read Gramsci. I don't have any Gramsci text. Mm, okay. The, the, uh, the translations done by Pete, uh, what's his name? Puttajaj's father... Are oh, yeah, 20, yeah. $23 off on Amazon right now. There you it, go. It's 70 something dollars still. Go pick but up 2,000 pages. Fuck. <laughs> well, it's, it's the entirety of what he wrote while he was imprisoned under Mussolini's yeah. Italy. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. I, I don't know. Like, interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, yeah. It, it's so funny. Like, uh, uh, Pete's dad is like, oh, he translated one of the most interesting leftist ph- philosophers in history who had some of the most revolutionary ideas while only living to be like what 40 mm-hmm. and then his son is like the most boring democratic politician possible like he seems like he's just a terminator meant to focus on ambition <laughs> it's, it's so funny the most bland terminator i can't talk terminator uh to yeah. exist i've come back from the future to he, it, look he's just there to like, do this he, dance he wants to get like he wants to get to the White House. That's his goal. He doesn't have anything beyond that. Like that. That's it. Yeah. Well, again, you know, people that are judged slander. Yeah. Sorry, guys. This, uh, you know, if you came here looking for uh, Pete Buttigieg's positivity, I'm, I'm I apologize. I didn't mean to take in that direction. Uh, yeah. I think. 
I think I learned something. I think I learned I ho- some stuff. I hope today. you did because I've just been saying words for the last hour and a half. Well, I hope that I haven't brought down the uh, overall like level of um, uh... nope. Yep, I did. Competency. I made it less competent. That's exactly what I did. Thank you. Um, well, I mean, yeah. you have to deal with the real world. I get to read all day. So, well, you know, it's funny because I, I've just been, I do have to deal with the real world. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's what I can contribute is just an anecdote. Um, I mean, I, I've talked about my philosophical underpinnings. I, I know we discussed it beforehand. Of, uh, I got, do you want to just finish it off by going over like our political journeys? Yeah, yeah, I sure. think that's a, that's a good way to finish off the episode because I, I know there's been a big political journey since like what was it like right after Bernie lost for you. Yeah. Um, there's yeah. been one for me, but mine's been since high school. Uh, um, reverse the reverse interview. What's your political journey? Sure. Yeah. Great. Uh, you friggin' unoed that. Uh, I mean, I was a lifelong Democrat, man. Like I grew up in a weirdly enough, my family was were Democrats. I didn't have to do the like conservative to, to like go to high school and then become a Democrat or like, I wasn't like super conservative, whatever. This was also pre-internet or like right at the birth of shit posting on the internet. And I just wasn't super into it because I had a dial up modem. So like, I really didn't have a conservative pipeline. I went down actually that happened to me in college. Cause I got involved with like, like I said, an evangelical community, but even then like still, I was still what you might consider progressive. Um, at least in that community. And that kind of just gas pedaled once I got out of college. Uh, but I really don't think I got super into leftist politics until probably like I started paying more attention to Sanders. Um, because I was, like I said, I was kind of a progressive Democrat. Um, and I knew that Republicans, as simply as I could see it, just wanted to cut taxes and were not really helping people. And the Democrats at least wanted to like, you know, fund schools, which is a good thing. Uh, But like I said, Sanders really kind of like was the first person to lay out, these are the problems with America that are super fucking tangible. They're super concise. He didn't bog it down with lots of um, theory. It was just like, listen, there are people with a lot of money that are calling the shots and making it so you don't have the kind of voice you should. And this is how we fix that. And it was such a a winning message. It won me over. Um, And I think from like 2016 on, it's just been an evolution of those things. And I found myself still in like democratic circles because guess what? It's the South. And if like- You're kind of stuck with. Yeah. And, but I've also found a lot of like diversity of thought in democratic circles too. Like this, this, I get so frustrated, frustrated with the It is frustrating sometimes. It's, especially yeah. at the college I go to, like that is to the left, that is me. Yeah. Um, but when when our di- Democratic Party was active back in like early or the the early part of fall semester 2020, um, yeah. there was also the guy that was like cheering on Joe Joe Biden in the primaries. Yeah. So like you have that big divide of like the most moderate, moderate, moderate possible, and then mm-hmm. there's me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a real thing. That's a real world, though. And and you have to learn to, like, find some some common ground with those people. Like, you know, I, I have problems with with Democratic leadership and pundits, but, like, your average Democrat, like, I mean, I don't know. It it It's, especially in the South, very diverse, very different. Yeah. And I, I mean, had to I learn. Mean, for me, it, it's hard. Like, I can't start a Democratic Socialist 
party at my college. Like I came here to infiltrate the rich and take over the world. Like none of these people are socialists. Exactly. Right. Right. You're playing the long game. Uh, I'm playing the long game. I go, I go to the rich people college, getting a bunch of debt, but I know the rich people now so that I can, I rule the world. And I'm just like, Hey guys, even though I was completely openly a socialist, I am now a socialist in the government. And we, we won guys, everything is socialism now. Welcome to socialism. Now I'm not paying back my student loans, communism. Uh, I mean, if nobody paid them back, would it be that bad? No, I mean, honestly, everyone just don't. Everyone listen to this. Just don't pay your student loans back. Just don't do it. Pay your taxes. I, I, legally, sure, I have yeah, to pay, yeah, yeah. pay your taxes. Student yeah. loans? What are they going to do if nobody that, pays that, them? That money's just going to disappear. Don't do it. Uh, don't pay your student loans back. Sure, uh, the, the economy will crash, but that's funny. Is that <laughs> not funny? It's happened before. Uh, <laughs> multiple times. We're fine. Um, the line <laughs> goes down for once. That's funny. <laughs> it's all a cosmic joke. Um, now we're getting into some sort of shit. I like it. Uh, there's, my theory of history yeah right um to, to kind of land the plane i found myself moving further and further left um and i couldn't really find exactly where i fit because i, I think i believe in a lot of things to be honest with you like i see the value in a lot of things i don't immediately write off a specific section um you know i found myself being very anti-fascist but like and still very i would consider like engrossed in i like i call myself an sjw like because i i i and i do it unironically because it's like you know there's there's a uh, a tendency to be like oh sjw no like fuck it i care about social justice like that's important and i don't have to you know i'm not considering i'm not worried about being like Ooh, cringe like no like that's important and i care about it and that's okay i care about these things and it's like also it does feed into my conceptualization of socialism and like you know, people having the right to self-determination and democratic control over their own lives and the means of production and, and all that good stuff. And like, um, so that's where I ultimately found like, oh, well, Libsock's a pretty big fucking umbrella term. So I'm just going to go with that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's like maybe Demsock in the sh- streets, Libsock in the sheets. I, I don't kind of situation. Um, I, I guess for your political journey, something also I want to get out of, um, because it has been about a year since we had a, it's been over yeah. a year since we had our last politician on. Um, yeah. I, it, I mean, it's been what, four, almost four years now since you ran for office, but like, what was nuts? that experience like? Because like, that was about the time that we were starting to get to know each other. It was. Yeah. No, I mean, that experience was great. Wouldn't trade it. I met a lot of cool people, met a lot of shitty people. Um, and that's also where I like feel like the cynicism towards people involved in that is unwarranted because there are so many good people that are trying fucking hard. They're doing whatever they can. And like, to me, a, a, a Democrat doing whatever they can to change like their state is better than like a really well-educated socialist. That's just dumping cynicism on everything, you know? Um, and I, th- I think that like, uh, that experience taught me that I don't know that I necessarily want to ever be a politician. Um, but I, I have to like, ever since then, I'm like, I've been kind of trying to find a way to get involved somehow, like to find my place in like pushing my community towards, uh, I, I mean, I guess for lack of pushing it towards socialism, fuck it. Like, yeah, that, that would be good. I would like that very, very we need, much. We need a DSA in Florence because what's the closest one? Charleston? Raleigh? Yeah. 
Yeah. And again, you know, DSA, I, I'll say it has its problems, especially on the national level, but fuck it. If you can get like a solid amount of people together to do things for their community, that's not out of touch with their community. Don't, don't get it to do it for their community. Excuse me. Let me rephrase all of that. <laughs> let me, let me rephrase that real quick, because I think that's something that people fuck up about like charity work too, is like, if to say there was a socialist organization, they don't need to come in and do stuff for their community. They need to be the community with, with the community. They need to be representative. Like, it needs to be made up of people from the community. And, and that's, that's a completely different thing. Yeah, um, that's the problem I have with being in the DSA in South Carolina. It's like, what, is the, what are our chapters? I think there's like a chapter that's trying to form in Columbia. Yeah, there's, like Charleston. A face, there's a Facebook group in Greenville. And then there's like an actual chapter in Charleston. I go down to Charleston, like, or I used to go down a lot more. Um, but, like, I go to Charleston every once in a while. But, like, I'm mm-hmm. not a part of that local politics. Like, even mm-hmm. if I go there just so that I can fulfill the one part of my DSA membership that I kind of want to, doesn't mean that I'm necessarily being uh, completely, like, effective to... Um, because, like, I don't pay attention to Charleston politics that often. I don't know who's yeah. on city council. I don't know who the mayor is. Yeah. Um, I know there's some problems with like the police department and the BLM rallies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But like beyond that, like I'm not there. Like I yeah, might be able to learn like how to start like a, a Florence, South Carolina version of the DSA from that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm actually a dues paying member myself. And right I am too. Just... I, I pay my like student dues. So like, join the DSA. Link Fuck in it, the description. Want to like... <laughs> like start talking more about that? Because what we need. You know, but again, I would, some, I would like the Lula's crowd or like the coffee shops in Florence. Definitely. That's a crowd other than bean bar. Fuck bean bar. Um, um, like th- those are places where like socialist kids hang out. Like, so really, yeah, really cool. True. I know a bunch of people um, ranging from like what, like maybe anarchist, like ML. I don't know if I know any anarchist IRL, um, but like you have socialists there. I don't know mm-hmm. if we all get along. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I feel like we could finally we could find a lot of common ground because again, if we're online and arguing with each other, we'll kill each other. But if it's like if we're all meeting at a coffee shop talking about, hey, what would be something that we could like have in our community or have with again, wording is important, have with our community, um, and do with our community. Uh I think that'd be cool. Yeah. So um I mean I don't want to leave it at the coffee shop because that's gonna be an extremely no, white crowd. No, no. Um well, that's my point. Like, too, like, again, Maybe I mean, some churches or stuff like that, because I, I think uh, the black community in Florence is fairly left wing. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like the majority of the Democratic Party is. And that was one of the things, again, that like. Um, Maybe my representative could show up because I have I have the left. I have one of the most left leaning politicians in Florence as my state house representative. Well, there you go. I'm trying to think of what his name is right now. I really like that guy. I, again, I would say this is an important. Here's just an important real thing. Like if the DSA did do something, if, if they, we did talk about this or organize, whether it was the DSA or just a bunch of people, it can't be a bunch of like white young people. Like it, it, it's gotta be uh, uh multiracial. Like it's gotta be. Um, That's what we were trying to form after those June BLM protests, but I don't think it really came through altogether. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think after like the George Floyd buzz kind of died down, like, any mm-hmm. plans for stuff, something like that really failed. And I, yeah. I do think even if Florence is, has a fairly progressive city council, mm-hmm. um, having organizations like that can help. Because I was not expecting like people like, uh, what was it, uh, Schofield to win that seat that he was in. 
coming from mm-hmm. the Theresa Mays district, I think. Mm-hmm. Is it Theresa? No, no. Ter- no, Teresa no. Myers Irving. Wow, yeah, not Teresa May. Well, sorry, yeah, I was. Wrong I'm gonna be honest. I was just mm-hmming you, and then something did not sound right. And I was like, wait, no, hold on. I was like, oh wait, I voted for this woman three times. I should know her name. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's okay. It's late. My brain's not working either. Um, yeah. But no, I mean that's important though, and I think there are members on like you could talk with on city council, or you could like yeah, find. Th- there's definitely leaders. people that would want to join the people- DSA and be in the democratic party at the same time probably yeah yeah well again you, uh, i think there's this misconception online that the dsa is like oh there's a bunch of electoral idiots it's like actually actually they're more have always advocated more for like activist kind of stuff and like community stuff it's not necessarily go to the polls like that's that's part of it but that's not really the focus you know um and i think people would be really pleased with a refreshing take, you know, and, and one that's unifying. That That's the only thing I will struggle with. Like I was having a conversation with someone who voted for Trump and like, I had a few beers and we were, we were, we were kind of going back and forth for a while. And I was finally, like, it was like, well, I'm a socialist. And he was just like, like it stopped him for like a second, but what, what got him here. So here's the thing about, we were talking about vaccine mandates or vaccines or whatever. And he's like, I just think it's terrible that people are going to lose their jobs and have to pay their own hospital bills. I was like, well, as a socialist, I think that healthcare should be fucking free. So I do that's also one think big, there should be a ma- the vaccine mandate, but healthcare should be free. You should be able to go and get treatment at, at, a, at a hospital without going broke the rest of your life. And I think that caught him off guard, you know, because it, it was about to be like a, you know, I think he's maybe bracing for like a, I'm better than you because I think this way argument. And it's like, no, no, no. There is, there's benefits to like thinking, living and acting as a, as a community and caring for one another and like um, realizing it's not only about profit and like, you know. Yeah, I, I think having a DSA that is especially double-minded on activism and elections can help mm-hmm. out a lot because I remember when I was campaigning for Bernie, um, as a volunteer, like I was going to sections of Florence that I never interact with. Like there's a half of Florence that I never, I, I don't talk to those people. I never would go to school there. Um, it, it is a very funny experience because like after campaigning in those areas that are especially poor and minority in contrast to like the neighborhoods where I think my neighborhood that I, my family lives in, it's a suburban like 50-50 neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but like up towards like North Florence, Quimby area, like I never go up there. I never interact with those people until I was in those the campaign. Mm-hmm. And after two or three, you get more comfortable in that area. Cause I remember I was campaigning around there, getting used to those like poor minor- minority uh, people because like I'm campaigning for Bernie Sanders. Like those are the people that that message kind of speaks to. Um, and then you get, to, <laughs> I remember, uh, I don't remember what exact time it was, um, when I was campaigning, maybe sometime late January, I was just campaigning on my own and it was a rich neighborhood and I go up to one house to get turned down immediately. And I have an anxiety attack because this is like a rich neighborhood. Like this is one yeah. of the, it's next to like the cut, the country club. And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm talking to a bunch of rich people. No one's going to listen. <laughs> and like, well, yeah, having a DSA that talks to those, com- like these, half of Florence is probably... Along with a bunch of other cities, 
politicians just don't go there. No one talks no. to those people. They show up at the polls. That's their only interaction with politics. That's, Having that's a the DSA issue. Would be people great. pay attention when you only show up for election season and you don't show up any other time. Like, and, and so they know you're full of shit. And I think I will say as a critique of, of Sanders campaign in 2020, he should have been in South Carolina a lot more. Like yeah, it definitely, I think that's the turning point, honestly. Yeah. And like you we're people in the South, it's about community. It's about trust. It's about like showing up when you don't have to show up and be in there for people. And like to his credit, Biden should not have been able to turn it around like that. No, no, no. I, we're, that's a whole nother conversation, but like we're, we're aiming higher. You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, it, if we did something like that in Florence, if, if that did move forward, I would say that like, yeah, it needs to be, we need to make sure that it is, um, it's like, uh, intersectional interaction yeah, community that's, that's all year long intersectional. I don't know doing how stuff. It, I mean, I, I, I have my background in, in Florence. So that, I mean, for the majority of our podcast, people aren't from Florence. They're not, they don't have an understanding of what this community is like. Yeah. But I, I imagine a lot of community, like mid-sized cities, like or small-sized cities. I'm not exactly sure where Florence is. Maybe like a hundred thousand people metro areas. I guess mm-hmm. is the best way to quantize it. Um, mm-hmm. But like, especially in the South, most of the community, uh, what is it? Uh, community event things, uh, community charity events yeah. are going to be done by churches. Yep. And yep. those are traditionally maybe moderate to right wing. And they're going to be religious. They don't have a if they don't have a political message behind them. And if they do, it's going to be slightly right wing. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I, I went to a couple of mission trips over the summer because like the only way for me to go out and help people is through I guess my local church. Yeah, I, I mean I, that I, is the that is the state Texas, of affairs. Yeah, I flew to Texas to help. Uh, what was it? Uh, clothe immigrants at a Catholic uh, respite center, and mm-hmm. I went to Kentucky to help build so, or to help repair someone's house, mm-hmm. and the uh the kentucky experience was especially um i guess a a learning experience for me because um you're in appalachia we were in the western part of kentucky and you have this uh i forget what the place is called but it's a school um it has a soccer field and it has those health things as long as gasoline and in the span of maybe about 40 30 40 miles that's the most helpful place you're going to find um, yeah. and i mean i didn't talk about politics much that week um i mean i'm an atheist so it's probably not in my interest to go talking about religion at all sure sure, sure. um but like i can fake it make it you know um yeah, but like that that's a traditionally trump uh and very religious like outpost there like it, it was privately owned and it's helping people in that area which is a good mm-hmm. thing but it yep. has a political message behind it inherently yep. because of the people that it reaches to Yep. If socialists really want a on-the-ground project, it's going to it's going to have to try and do stuff like that because right wingers are already doing charity stuff. They're, like yeah. even if they are like individualists and horrible people to like minorities, there mm-hmm. are they they are doing charity work and they are outreaching to these people. We can't just pretend that we can argue online, even if I do it myself, and win elections every two years. Like we're we're the people. Like we said earlier, like there's a huge group of Americans just interacting with other white Republicans. Mm-hmm. We need to, if we can, people like me that aren't going to be targeted by those people and can actually blend into them. If we can talk to them, 
that's generally very helpful. There's a lot of other guys like me on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and when having those community things where there is a political message behind it, she's like, we're feeding you. This is what socialism is like. This, us working together, bringing this feast into this church hall in order to feed a community. You don't have to go to McDonald's. You don't have to go to uh, Wendy's or whatever uh, other restaurant you can think of. You can go here. We'll cook a meal for you. You can have it. No cost. Just a community bonding experience provided by what the future could be like. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah, because I mean, at the end of the day, what you're doing is is using that as a as a chance to build community. Like, it's not just like here's a handout kind of situation, you know. Like, because I think that is something. There is a difference, I think, between like uh, mutual aid and, and charity, and like you're you're not just like trying to check off your Christian point when you go and like give somebody food. I mean, you know, we're, not- we're not the first leftists to realize like the Black Panthers are the reason there's school lunch or school yeah. school breakfast. What is, is yeah. which one is it? Well, again, uh, there was that organization uh, organization in Florence after the BLM stuff that they they or the BLM protests that they were they were out it was next is now like they were out doing that stuff in the community and I was like you know the last thing I want to do is come and show up and be like hey guys we should do this instead of like like let me just call it whatever I want to call it and then do the same like I was There's like prob- can- in most communities probably already something like this yeah so like degree. how it almost is almost more regible uh, makes more sense to like join. As yeah, yeah, as DSA members, if we did have a whatever, go go join other people doing stuff and like build that community, learn how to do it with them. And so when it comes time to be like, all right, well, we're doing something as an organization, please come be a part of it because we care about because our focus, like literally, like in socialism is community. Like that is what we're trying to do here. And so um that just translates really well. And you've already shown up. You've already earned that equity. Um, I don't know. That that makes sense to me. And where we're at in the United States right now, we're talking about like what is the most potent weapon against neoliberalism. Uh, moving the conversation around or away from like severe individualism and- Making sure uh, your white friends don't watch Taxi Driver. <laughs> realize that this is not something you should idolize. No, just Rick and Morty. Just Rick and Morty. Um, so Patrick Bateman actually did not kill most of the people in this movie. You understand that he's a loser, right? It's all in his head. It's all in his head. It's a, it's a, it's a metaphor. I just learned that word because yeah. I'm listening to philosophy podcasts. <laughs> metaphor. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. That's what well, we, we got it. We should do something. We, 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 we did this it. podcast backwards where all the practical stuff is at the end. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm sorry if you have to go through and edit this. I, I hope. Oh this no, was... I don't edit my fucking podcast. Oh, I don't have time well, for that. I hope this is just kind of what you were looking for. And um, I'm looking for it. content. I don't put stuff. I need to start putting stuff out more often. Is what I always say to myself. And okay. then don't do that. Yeah. Uh, well, you know. I think cool. with the, I, I like this setup a little bit more. I have stuff in the back. If you guys notice, there are now Pink Floyd albums behind me instead of a blank beige wall. Um which is it's good i also got stuck in a small room which is not nice but uh background so um so it is nice i like your i like it i like your setup it looks very chill it, it is a lot more chill than a couch in the middle of a room that looks like people yeah. are like is he in a prison cell and i'm just like no i'm not in prison yet um keep talking like that and you will be 
If I go to my law law career, I'll, I'll be put in prison for trying to sue Chevron to release Steven Tonzinger or there something like that. There you go. I do have a question. Are you using like a ring light to, to light your, your ish? Um, so the camera I have has a ring light. And then I have a, uh, what is it, like a desk lamp light. Um, you mm-hmm. know, the, it's like two small LED lights facing against the wall that way. I'm doing was, the same thing. Mine, yeah, I'm, I'm bouncing it off the wall right now. Because I was noticing beforehand, I still have them, but I had like kind of raccoon eyes of where like there was no light going in there. Yeah, I look like I have a sunburn. I don't know how that happened. I'm not sure. But you have a little bit better setup than I do because I'm, I'm kind of stuck with the couch. Uh, no, they did not okay. give me a chair for my desk in this new room. So I'm going to have to move that in next time I go back home. Our chair. Yeah, our chair as if I have a roommate. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's been a great podcast. I'd love to have you on more. Um, yeah. You're one of the three uh, Twitch streams that I continue to leave on our, uh, what is it, YouTube channel or something like that, I think. Well, that's really timely because I just started streaming again. So uh, I can, I can uh, put that in the description. Just, I guess, I think I do follow you on Twitch already. Um, but I mean, if there's anything uh, you want to promote, I guess, go ahead. Um, I mean, yeah, if, if you're interested in like people just watching people play indie games for like a couple hours, come check out my Twitch. Uh, I'm normally hanging out there a couple nights a week um some other things to promote um dsa yeah yeah if you find yourself looking for some sort of um organization to be involved with you know check out the dsa uh they might have a chapter in your area if not uh i would say don't don't lose heart um you know find different ways to be involved uh you know even if it's just having conversations with your um, with your coworkers and and and, and helping people realize, uh, you know, they they have uh, the right to say, are they they have they have the right to? Um, oh my gosh, I am struggling so unionize. bad right now. Yeah, they have the right to unionize. Uh, they can unless you well, it's a struggle and stuff. Help people realize that their labor has value and that they have a right to say what gets done with it and not be exploited. Like. People don't have to be exploited. Uh, that's one of the things we're, you know, against. <laughs> Clearly, against exploitation. Uh, and I'm trying to think if there's any other. I don't have anything formal right now. I mean, I'm really just hanging out on Twitter, which is not. Are you doing any music right now? No, not really. I thought Every you did something with then... Alex. What is it, Alex Melton? Recently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to promote that and go check his stuff out, his channel is amazing. It's Alex Melton. He does a bunch of fucking covers. They're like, uh, they're country covers of pop punk and pop punk. Oh no! It's an old video he did three years ago that you're in, isn't it? Yeah, I am. I'm in a couple. I'm in a couple videos. I do some singing and I do some <laughs> guitaring. And uh, you know, if you want to go check me out, I'm on his channel. And um, yeah, if you can get permission to any of his songs, I can finish the episode with that. I'm sure he'd be fine. I'll I'll, I'll message him and see if he can do that. Because uh, <laughs> I I was able to finish the God's Not Dead episode with uh on Spotify only. I couldn't do it on YouTube because I got copyright struck, but with the song itself, which is really mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, this has been the Leftology podcast, episode 15, um, title that I have not decided yet. Um, it's there. Um, 
Random but, internet guy. That's yeah, your title. Yeah, thank you. Uh, please subscribe, like, comment 12 times. It gives me a lot more interactions. But thank you most of all for watching. Yes, thank um, you. And have a good morning, night, evening, or whatever time of day you